Welcome to another special edition of the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Pastor Richard Hill. We are currently recording these sermons at home since the circumstances around the COVID-19 pandemic have caused us to cancel our in-person gatherings for the time being. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open and affirming congregation. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our messages, we hope that you will find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your journey of faith. We invite you to listen with us now. We couldn't have a series inspired by the work and ministry of, the, of Reverend Mr. Fred Rogers without the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't know that it was one of his guiding, guiding texts. I haven't read that anywhere, but I would be surprised if it wasn't. When you Google the two together, you get page after page of articles and sermons where pastors and authors and theologians have tied them together for good or for ill. On the whole, though, I think there is no Mr. Rogers neighborhood without this parable from Luke. But before we delve into ways to look at this very familiar story, maybe we should look at Acts. It's not a story that we know, and yet it feels familiar. A little more like, a little like more than one of the healing stories of Jesus in the Gospels. Maybe the man born blind or the little girl that Jesus told to stand up and walk, or bits and pieces of so many others. Except this isn't Jesus. This story occurs after Jesus has ascended to heaven and after the Pentecost when the disciples are gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are headed to the temple for services as they might in a normal week. As they arrive at the so-called beautiful gate called as such for the entry of the wealthy and the elite. A good place to ask for alms for sure. The text tells us of something that I think might be a miracle if it happened today. Each day, a man born with challenges that meant he could not walk himself was brought there to ask for alms. And Peter looked intently at him. He didn't just pass him by. He didn't just cross the other side of the road. But he looked intently at him as if assessing who he was and how Peter and John might help him. He asks, or maybe he insists, that the man look back at him. The look is intent and expectant, clearly anticipating the charity that he seeks each day. That's not what he gets, though. Instead, Peter tells him he has no money, but he has something even better, and he gives a gift given in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And in that moment, Jesus, Peter reaches out his hand and raises him up and tells him to stand and walk. He's made strong enough not only to stand and walk, but to jump and leap and dance in praise. He joins Peter and John in entering the temple, and the worshipers inside recognize him as the one who sat at the gate. They were amazed and surprised 
at what they saw. The actions and the presence of the Holy Spirit undergird every story in Acts far beyond Pentecost. Healing doesn't happen unless it's in the name of Jesus, the the risen Christ, which is all well and good for the people of Jerusalem and the ancient Near East. But I can think of an awful lot of exhausted, overworked healthcare workers who would pray for the healing work they seek to do every day to be as easy as this moment seems. This moment of rejoicing falls differently in the midst of a global pandemic when the virus is spreading unchecked and the numbers of those infected and hospitalized and dying rises daily. And yet what I wouldn't give for this deep moment of connection and faith that healed this man and gave so much joy. Perhaps the modern version of this miracle isn't that the man was healed, though. Maybe the real miracle is hidden in the earlier verses of the story. Not that Peter and John, two men in their 30s, were going to, the, to worship in the middle of the day, although that may very well be a miracle in some times and places. Not that a man lame from birth asks for help daily at the beautiful gate, but perhaps the real miracle is that this same man is brought to the temple daily by other people. We don't know who they are. Were they family members or friends or neighbors? It's clearly not the remarkable part of the story That's the healing and subsequent rejoicing. And there seems to be this reasonable expectation that someone would bring him daily to the gates. Three of the Gospels tell a story of a paralyzed man healed by Jesus. The story differs a bit in each telling, but all three contain the fact that he he sought healing. But the crowds were such that getting close to Jesus was nearly impossible. And all three also contain the detail that he was lowered through the roof above, and more importantly, carried by his friends. It's a good reminder that we exist at the mercy and through the generosity of every other person around us. Which brings us to a story that is likely one of the most familiar of Jesus' parables, if not the most. We've heard the questioning of the lawyer and the callousness of the priest and the Levite and the mercy of the Samaritan. And we all nod and think, what a good Samaritan. But we've got to think a little harder, a little differently. So let's start with that lawyer. We pay so much attention to this parable that we don't always pay attention to where it sits in the text. The approach of the lawyer comes just after the return of the 72 who've been sent out to share the good news throughout the countryside, taking nothing with them. The next thing we know, a legal expert approaches with a question that may or may not have been to put Jesus on the spot. What do I have to do to have eternal life, he asks. 
as if to say, give me the list so I can check off the boxes. But Jesus, he's no fool, and he turns it back around on the lawyer and says, what does the law say? And the lawyer comes back with the answer of one who studied well to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And when given the A plus gold star he seems to have been seeking, he pushes Jesus again, asking, but who is my neighbor? You know, there are moments that I think that Jesus tells parables because he's frustrated with our inability to hear what he already said. We've talked about neighbors this month in our Sunday school conversations, and we've had to think about who our neighbors are, what it means to be in community with others. This week, I came across a beloved old movie that I hadn't realized spoke about the nature of neighborliness because it had been so long since I'd seen it. Another Frank Capra classic, Meet John Doe, stars Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck, who is a columnist for a local paper. When the paper is taken over and she loses her job in the midst of the Depression, with her last column as she's being dashed out the door, she shares a letter of a regular John Doe who is frustrated with the way of the world and is convicted to jump off a building on Christmas Eve in protest. The letter garners incredible attention, and their offices are filled with men who are out of work looking for the jobs that have been offered to this heartfelt John Doe. The newspaper owners hire Gary Cooper to play the part of John Doe on the radio and then in personal appearances. <coughs> After his first radio appearance, though, John realizes he wants no more to do with this sham of being the public face. And he sees the manipulation in the cracks of what they're doing. Several days later, Stanwick catches up with him in a small town where a group of locals have set up what they call a John Doe Club. And they are beginning to spring up all over with the tagline, be a better neighbor. When he meets the founder of the club in this small town, the founder says to him, we realized it's a shame how little we know about our neighbors. It really is a shame. In the age of next door and social media, it can be harder than ever to know the people who live closest to you. Being a neighbor comes in two forms though, social proximity and physical proximity. We've had a wonderful relationship with the older woman across the street from us, but she died early in the fall. And the house next door to us has changed hands four or five times since we moved in, although we had wonderful friends who lived there for a time. It's strange to me, though, to not know our neighbors well. 
Although one of the small gifts of this pandemic is seeing more and more folks on foot walking through the neighborhood with kids and dogs and bikes and scooters in tow. But if this was as easy as simply to getting to know our neighbors, it's likely we would have done it by now. In her recent book, The Short Stories of Jesus, New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine reminds readers and believers this. If we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse yet, fail to take any challenge, we are not listening well enough. So how does the parable of the Good Samaritan convict us today? It's easy to see the moments we've been the priest or the Levite. We're all moving to the other side of the road when we are passing other people. We've had lots of reasons, long lists of reasons why we couldn't help in that moment when we've done it before. And I hope that most of us have some Samaritan moments too when we stopped everything and helped someone in need but there's got to be more to this. There really has to be more to it than that. The work of Mr. Rogers finds its focus in this story. He was constantly aware of people being beaten down and in the proverbial ditch. He was also seeing the priest and the Levite and reminding children, even those who might find themselves in the ditch too, that the helpers the good Samaritans were there if you paid attention and looked around. Mr. Rogers took Jesus at his word to that legal expert. He went and he did. He showed mercy at every turn. So we've all been the characters in the story, even the lawyer, except one. How often do you envision yourself as the one in the ditch? Everybody has a ditch. It could be the death of a loved one or a divorce or the pain of addiction or a difficult move or the loss of a job or a dream or a host of other things. Everyone has their own ditch. Sometimes help comes from a place you wouldn't expect. And in the story Jesus tells, it comes from the least likely person they could have imagined. It's not a surprise that the priest and the Levite kept going. I'm sure they had their reasons. And it's not surprising that the third passerby stopped. It is surprising that the one who stopped was the opposite of who anyone would anticipate. Jesus pushes the hearers to consider the possibility that a person might be more than the sum of their political, racial, cultural, and economic identities. We've talked about the tribalism that's one of the plagues that's facing us in the United States. In the moment you find yourself in the ditch, tribalism has to fall away. All that matters in that moment is whether or not anyone will stop to show you mercy 
before you die. As writer Debbie Thomas says, it won't be your cherished affiliations that matter. All that will matter is how quickly you swallow your pride and grab hold of that hand you never hoped to touch. How readily you'll agree to receive help from the enemy you fear. How long you'll persist in your lone ranger fantasy before you allow the unsavory other to bless you. Throughout this series, we've begun to look at who our neighbor is, just as the lawyer asks Jesus. And Jesus doesn't give a softball answer either. Our neighbor is the one who scandalizes us with compassion. Jesus answers, your neighbor is the one who upends all of your entrenched categories and shocks you with the fresh face of God. Your neighbor is the one who mercifully steps over the ancient bloodied line separating us and them and teaches us the real meaning of good. So how, my friends, are you called to be a good neighbor? How can we together be good neighbors? How can covenant be a good neighbor? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. We would normally invite you to worship with us in person on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. But while we weather the storm of the COVID-19 pandemic, we invite you to worship with us online through our website, www.covpresatl.org. Our weekly worship video is posted there each Sunday morning. Our website is also where you can find out more about us and get in touch. We wish you well in these times of upheaval. Grace and peace to you.